I'm glad that there's a, a school teacher here with us today. I was hoping maybe there'd be a few um, middle school aged or high school aged uh, kids with us today, but uh, you can all pretend that you're young with me. And uh, some of this is going to be like a story for, for children, but I'm going to use some big words too, so you got to kind of follow along with me, all right? How many of you, let's, let's get the big word out there, okay? How many of you know what the word taxonomy means, okay? Taxonomy. Sounds like a word a, a word you'd get something from the IRS, like taxes, right? Who, who could tell me what the word taxonomy means? Am I the only one that ever heard that word before? Classifying. Ah, I'm a school teacher, of course. <laughs> Classifying things. It's the science or the laws or the principles of classification. Of course, we think of taxonomy a lot when we think of the, the kingdoms of plants and animals and all the different different phylum order, genus and species and subspecies within those species. That's a taxonomy. But you can have a taxonomy of all kinds of things. Uh, it's just a system of classifying things. You know, we, we find a taxonomy in the Bible. It's not the word taxonomy, but if you go to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 19, we find the very first taxonomy, kind of a simple one, but uh, it, the, the story is told about how God created Adam. It says, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. What, a, what an interesting job. The very first job that Adam ever had, as soon as he was created, he had the job of naming all of the different animals. I'm going to call this one a goat, and this one an elephant. And Well, he used probably different names because we speak English, and I don't know what language he might have sp spoken back then, but he gave names to all the different animals. Here you have it. God created the world, one world, and then man created the taxonomy. Really, it wasn't a bad thing. God designed us as human beings to be inquisitive, to look into things, to understand how the different living organisms are similar or different from, from one another. And, and you know the way that our brains work when we see a whole bunch of something? We try to group them into different groups. It helps us understand them better, right? So we have groups of animals. We have, have a group called birds, and we have a group called fish. And within those group called birds, we have crows and hawks and sparrows and they're all different and we classify them based on their similarities and their differences. You know, biologists even today spend their lives studying these classifications and the similarities and differences between the animals and plants and fungi and, and different organisms within these different classifications. Taxonomies are very, very useful and very helpful for us as human beings. They're helpful for us in learning any, any type, any subject within the, the sciences to, to classify, to put things into a taxonomy. But back to our Bible story, Adam naming the animals. As Adam was going along and naming the animals, something starts to dawn on him. As he's, as he's looking at these animals, they're coming to him in pairs, right? There's a male and a female. And they, all these animals are coming to him in pairs. And he sees a lot of similarities between himself and the animals, but, but at the same time he realizes that he is created in the image of God. He has, he has attributes that the animals don't possess in being able to speak directly with God. 
to be able to think and to reason in ways that none of these animals can. And he starts, even though he's there with God in the garden, he starts to sense something is missing. That he doesn't, he's not complete in himself. And as he, as this realization dawns on Adam, God comes to him, puts him in a deep sleep, and performs the very first surgery. He takes a rib from his side, and out of that rib, God creates the crowning masterpiece of his creation, the woman. And right there in the garden, God performs the very first wedding. As God brings Eve up to Adam's side, Adam sees in this person standing before him one like himself. And instead of giving her a name, as he names all of the other animals, he gives her a very special name. He gives her his own name, a name that's derived from his own name, woman, because she was taken out of man. And we find there in that very last verse of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Here, Adam stops dividing into taxonomies. Adam stops dividing, and instead, God takes up the work of uniting, uniting the two into one. Well, we could go on and have a beautiful sermon right here on marriage, the sanctity of marriage, and, and, and that would be all right. But I want us to look at something that this passage tells us, even more, even beyond that the beautiful sanctity of the marriage relationship here, it tells us about something about what God intended for the human race. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. In the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 17 and verse 24. Acts chapter 17 and verse 24. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And skip on down to verse 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to, to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. God has made of one blood every nation on the earth. We're family, united together in one. Of course, very soon after this story in Genesis 2, sin entered into the world. And the very first result of sin was to begin div driving a wedge between humanity and God and between man and his fellow man. You see it right there in the garden. Adam blaming his wife. The woman blaming the serpent and blaming God. Ever since that day, Satan has been working in this world to create division, strife, and war. The human, grace, the, the human race whom God had joined together in the Garden of Eden, for 6,000 years, Satan has been working to divide asunder and to destroy. But from that first day of creation, God has put in place a plan to redeem mankind from the curse of sin. God has articulated his will for humanity. He has given it, summed it up in his law. 
in his written word. And his law can be summed up in the words found in Luke 10 and verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? This was the question the young lawyer asked of Jesus. And I think Jesus' answer to the lawyer is just as relevant today as it was back then. You see, the Jews had a really big problem. They had different categories for every people. You see, God gave Adam the job of making a taxonomy for the animals. But it seems like we haven't stopped with the animals. And we've made a taxonomy for people, too. Well, that's what the Jews did. There were, of course, the Jews. They were the good people. They were God's special chosen people. The Jews, to the Jews, there was only one way to be a good person. And first of all, that was to be a Jew. Among the Jews, of course, there were different groups. There were the elite. There were the ones who'd been to school, the scribes and the rabbis. Now, even the scribes and rabbis weren't one group. There were the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they kind of were at odds with each other. So you had to, you know, depending on which group you asked, one or the other was the, the good group and the other was not. But, but they were at terrible odds with each other. But then there was the peasants, the fishermen, the carpenters, the Galileans. That was the group that Jesus and his disciples were, were largely in, the peasants. And, but they were all Jews, okay? So at least they were all Jews. They were the good people, right? Then there was this other group. And to the Jews, everybody else in the world belonged to this other group, and they called them the Gentiles. The Romans, they were the Gentiles. Greeks, they were the Gentiles. They were all heathens. And, and, and of course, that included anybody that wasn't circumcised, wasn't following, that wasn't uh, of the heritage of the Jews. Now, there was this little group of Gentiles that was especially horrible, and I'll tell you why. You see, uh, they were they were people who even claimed to worship God. They they were kind of a, a mixed breed, so to speak. Okay, they were what we call what they called the Samaritans. These people lived right smack dab in the middle of the land of Israel. If you wanted to go from Judea and go up to the land of Galilee, you had to walk right through Samaria, or you had to take a big circle route and go around Samaria. Now, any good Jew would tell you it's far better to take the long road around Samaria than to have to go through this horrible place and, ha and, and chance to encounter one of these Samaritans. Okay? That was the problem of the Jews. Now, sorry, I'm skipping my notes here. So the lawyer asked Jesus this question. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story that's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. And of course, Micah read this, read the, read the introduction to this story in our scripture reading. But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus asked the question, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Of course, the lawyer got the point. He bet he says, he who showed mercy to him. What a lesson Jesus had to teach that lawyer. Those Jews, they were pretty thick-headed, weren't they? Wow. Funny, that lawyer wouldn't even say the word, the Samaritan. He, he says the, the one who showed mercy mercy to him. Even when Jesus asked him point blank, huh, those Jews, wait, wait, I just made the same mistake. Did you catch it? Those Jews, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't ever have an attitude like that. Would we? Or would we? How many times Friends, I want to ask you, do we make distinctions among ourselves? Maybe it's not between Jews and Gentiles. Have you ever heard us talking about Adventists and (laughs) non-Adventists? You know, friends, our human hearts are no different. If we follow the tendency of our own hearts... We have us and them. And it doesn't matter who we are. It always seems to come down to us and them. It's human nature. Maybe, I mean, if you look out into the political scene in our, in our world today, oh, those illegal immigrants... They're ruining our country. They're stealing our jobs. They're killing our children. No, the problem is the blacks. If they no, it's the whites. They've had they've had so much money for so long. No, really, really, the problem is the cops. The pr- police brutality is just entirely out of hand. If you've ever turned, I mean, if you turn on the news in the last six months, you know what I'm talking about, right? No, it's the Muslims. They're terrorists. You've got to get, get rid of them. Stop them from coming in the country. No, it's the, really, it's the Illuminati. It's a, it's a conspiracy, really. No, actually, it's the Democrats. Yeah, no, it's those crazy Republicans. They're, they're a bunch of mad conspiracy theorists. They, they can't even understand basic science. It doesn't matter which side you're on. It's us and them. And of course, we have it right, and they don't. 
Unfortunately, we even have it in our churches. You know, of course, the, the, the cliche, conservatives and liberals, whether it's, uh, we're a dress reformers, and they're not. Or we're health reformers, or we're, we're good people. You know, we're not like those extremists over there. Independence or the conference. You know, we say these things lightly, but the issues are very real. And, and we can talk about them, and yet I find myself from time to time buying into one side or the other of the issue and making a taxonomy of people. And rather than looking at what the Bible says and judging between right and wrong, I find myself dividing people from people and trying to get up close to this group or trying to push away from this group. Case in point. There's an issue within our church that has been a, a discussion point for many, many, for many years uh, but it's come, but came to a head really in the last year at the San Antonio San Antonio General Conference, the issue of whether or not our church should ordain women to the gospel minister. Well, you know the issue. I'm not going to get into the issue. I'm just using it as an example. But just this past week, um, if you've seen anything in the tabloid papers or or anything, and, and I have, um, it's come to another head, and there's a very real chance if the Lord doesn't intervene, that our, our entire church denomination could split right down the middle. And instead of having the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we could have the American Adventist Church and the Overseas Adventist Church or something like that. It's, it's, it's a very real issue, and we need to pray for our church right now. I'm not going to get into the, the sides, and there's, there's, there's issues on both sides. There's, there's biblical principles at stake as there are in virtually every discussion when it comes to different groups of people, whether it's about race or whether it's about gender or whether there are biblical, there's things that you can find in the Bible to base your understanding on. And they're not necessarily wrong. But what happens is we take, we have a, a, a seed of truth and then from that seed of truth we build our walls. And we write off people, whole groups of people, as them, because they don't agree with me and us. Who is my neighbor? Is my neighbor the church member sitting next to me in the pew? The one who sticks up for me in Sabbath school? Or is it the other church member who cuts down my ideas or just rubs me the wrong way? What about people who are very different from us? Shall we say the non-Adventists? The non-church people? Oh, yes. Uh, we're good at being neighborly to them. We have programs for feeding the hungry. We pass out literature in the community. We even have a prison ministries. We're good at being neighbors to, the, to these people. Yes, we're good at being us and ministering to them. But are we good at breaking down that wall between us and them? 
Can you sit down next to one of them and say, this is my friend. I know his name. I've been to his home. And we're friends. Even though the person you're, ta- you're saying that to might look at you like, huh? I'm not saying to compromise principle, friends. I'm saying that we need to learn to look at anyone, everyone, as being just like ourselves. Rather than Jews and Gentiles, Adventists or not Adventists, are, can we get to the point where people are just people, children of God? What about pe- people living the so-called alternative lifestyles? The LGBT community. We say we love them, but can we get to the point where we treat that per- we don't treat that person any differently than we would treat our best friend? I'm not saying to sleep with them, but I mean really love that person and believe that person and be friends with them, just as if he lived in the same community as you and me. Who is my neighbor? Friends, the answer can only be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As long as I feel like my sin is somehow less bad than your sin, or somehow I am a little bit holier than thou, or we are a little bit holier than them, there's going to be a barrier between us. And no matter how much I try to say it's not there, they can feel it, and I can feel it. It's not until I come to the foot of the cross and realize that it was my sin, not their sin, but my sin, that hung him there, that I realize it's not, it's not them, it's me. It's not the gay party-goer, it's not the drunk, it's not the thief. It was my sin that he died for. And I realize that I'm no different. I have nothing to boast about. I have nothing to claim for myself. And then it doesn't matter what your sin is. We're all the same. And the sooner we can all come to that same place at the foot of the cross, the sooner we can be together in community. No matter, it doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter how big, or, big it is or how little it is. Jesus came to save you from your sin, just like he's saving me from my sin. And praise God, he is able to do that. Who is my neighbor? At the foot of the cross, every child of Adam becomes a son or a daughter of God, rich or poor, black or white, Republican and Democrat, skinny or fat, ugly or pretty. That man, that woman, or that child becomes an heir to the kingdom of God an heir to the merits of Jesus Christ. doesn't matter if she's wearing a hijab or a tank top. It doesn't matter if he's wearing a tux or wearing his trousers. It doesn't matter who that person is or what that person may have done. That person becomes a child of God. How often do we look at people around us as objects? Objects to be despised or objects of fear objects of pleasure, objects to bring us fame or fortune. 
or even an object to hand a tract to. You poor sinner. I think you need to read this. In Galatians 3, verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, ne- there is neither male nor female. For, for all are one in Jesus Christ. Friend, who is my neighbor? If you claim to be a child of God, that creep sitting next to you on the bus, that's your brother. The girl on the magazine cover, she's your sister. What makes you any different than them? There's nothing God wants more than to bring you to bring you with them to the foot of the cross. Are you more spiritual than they are? Are you further along in your journey than they are? Don't think that you can look at them and get smug. Everyone out there is a child of God. And friends, the sooner we can take that to heart, the sooner we can put aside all of our petty differences, the sooner this work will be done. And together, with our neighbors, with our world, we can go home. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we look at the sacrifice that you have made, Lord, help us to stop putting barriers between ourselves and our fellow man. Lord, teach us who is our neighbor. And as we come to the foot of the cross, may we come to love every brother and sister the way only your heart can love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.